0: to share your word we ask you to teach us as we are all students of your word we are all pupils lord wanting to know the truth so that we can live the truth lord and that we can teach it accurately with balance and clarity lord may you be glorified this morning and may your people be edified as we study revelation and learn how to repent and rejoice in jesus name we pray amen Amen. So, just a couple things that we learned from last week. Here's a couple things we learned from last week. Number one, we learned why the tribulation period even has to take place to begin with. Why does there have to be this seven-year period that Daniel talks about and that John talks about? And it's also alluded to in Zechariah and even in Ezekiel. This seven-year period of God's wrath and judgment on earth. Why is that even necessary? And we shared this scripture in Revelation chapter 16, verses 5 through 7, which says, And I heard the angel who had authority over all waters, saying, You are just, O Holy One, who is and who always was, because you have sent these judgments. So basically, the Bible says that those judgments that we received during the Great Tribulation, the Bible says that they are just in, in verse 6 of Revelation, chapter 16, it says, it is their just reward. In the latter part of that verse, in verse 7, it says, your judgments are true and just. So what occurs in Revelation between chapters 6 and 18, n- known traditionally as the great tribulation period, a period of, of great turmoil and, and tr- destruction, and death and damage. The Bible says that, that, that is God. Daniel, to Daniel will not talk about it some other time. Here's what Revelation 9, 20 says. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues and did not repent of the works of their hands, so as not to worship, and this is just amazing to me, so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. So the Bible says that there will be people, listen, this, this is just really amazing to me, that there will be people during the seven-year tribulation period, that will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They'll hear it from the 144,000. They'll hear it from the two witnesses. And they'll hear it from other people that are converted during that period. They will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and will still not repent. I'm, I'm just baffled. I'm baffled. Here's something else that we learned last week. Last week we learned that um, the transfiguration might just be a prelude to the rapture because Elijah and Moses were present at the transfiguration. Moses who had died and was buried by God some 1500 years ago up on Mount somewhere in Moab and then Elijah with a J who the Bible says was taken away, he was caught away the term that we use in the New Testament, raptured, hapizio, in the Greek word meaning that be snatched, to be caught up, to be pulled away. The Bible says that Elijah was caught away, not seeing death, and Eli, and and I'm sorry, and Moses was buried and also was caught up. In the transfiguration, you can find that in Matthew 17, Mark chapter 9. It's also repeated in Luke 9. That means all three synoptics give us that account of the transfiguration. I believe, and I don't have incontrovertible evidence of this. This is just my opinion and my understanding of Scripture. But I look at that as sort of a teaser, a trailer, a prelude of the God. Thank you very much. A prelude, a prelude of the rapture that is described in 1 Corinthians 15 and in 1 Thessalonians 4. Because we have an excellent picture of the dead in Christ rising and an excellent picture of those that were alive also being snatched away. And it's amazing because if you look at who they represent, Moses represented the law. That's about half the New Old Testament of uh, you include the history books. And Elijah represented the prophets. That's 17 books of the Old Testament. Five major prophet books, 12 minor prophet books. So there's 39 books in the Old Testament. So it's almost, it's basically what he's saying is everyone who believed the Bible, everyone who heard God's Word, until the point of that Transfiguration where James Peter, James, and John were invited up on the mountain to, to witness this amazing event, which they weren't allowed to talk about until after Jesus' death. That's why we, we get this account, that these guys witnessed this event where Elijah and Moses were conversing with Jesus. I'm thinking like, oh my goodness, that to me potentially, listen, that potentially answers so many questions. Like, will we know each other in heaven. Well, if you use Matthew 17 as a source material, it would suggest if Peter and James and John were able to recognize Elijah and Moses. And by the way, how, there, there was no photographs. There were no, there were no cell phones. They couldn't have taken a picture. OK, here's Moses. I got him in my, in my timeline on Facebook. Here's a picture of Elijah. He was on my Twitter, one of my Twitter followers. No. There was no way, there was no way that there could have been a recorded image of Moses who lived 1,500 years before Jesus. That's 1,500. And there's no way there was a picture of Elijah who was caught up 900 years before Matthew. How would these cats know who these dudes were? Now, you may say, well, Pastor Will, Jesus could have been dropping names. He could have said, hey, Moses, what's happening, dude? What you been doing? you know, what, what's been going on in heaven while I've been down here on earth. He could have just been kicking it with Elijah, said, Elijah, you've done any great miracles lately? Any chariots of fire? So no, we don't know what they were discussing, and we don't know if Jesus dropped names, but I'm blown away that Peter, James, and John, especially Peter, recognized who Jesus was talking to in Matthew 7, 18, 17, when there were no pictures or photographs of Moses and Elijah. Amen. Exciting, ain't it? Exciting. No wonder John wrote, no wonder John wrote, Behold, what manner of love. This is first John. We're gonna get to this too, brother Coach. Brother Coach, Brother Coach was saying the other day, like, well, you know, Pastor Will's always on me about going too fast. Well, I'm going to tell you, things will probably really slow down when we get to chapter 3 of 1 John. Because John just starts hitting all these balls right out of the park. And he starts right at verse 1 of 1 John 3. He says, behold, we, we, I, I remember, I remember, um. Debbie, you may remember this, this is First John was one of the Bible quiz contest books way back when we were teenagers. And Red, you were on the Bible, the uh, Bible quiz team. We used to have, uh, Our church competed against other churches in Akron and we had this sort of like inner city uh, Bible challenge for young people uh, way back in the 70s, maybe late '60s, but, but at any rate, I remember uh, studying First John was one of the books that was in competition and uh... actually i think our church i think our church might have won that particular book i'm not really a hundred percent sure i don't remember but i know we won one of them but i know that deb over there is an absolute bible genius because she was she was a member of another church and then her parents came to our church and we were so glad to have Debbie on our team because she just knew all the answers and knew the Bible so well. So don't let Debbie's quiet demeanor fool you. She can be, she'll start dropping dimes, she'll start dropping scriptures left and right, letting you know what she knows, that she knows the word amazingly. But I remember, Deb, that we studied First John once, and I remember this particular verse always stayed in my head because Ronnie Lewis used to make us memorize the books almost. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. First John 3 1. And, and I love this. He said that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. And watch this part. This is the great part. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know, we know, and I love this word genosis in the Greek. We have experiential knowledge. We know firsthand the rhema word, the knowledge of God, that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Mm. This is just amazing good news, ladies and gentlemen. This is amazingly good news. So. Let me just give you a a little bit of insight on what I want to just tell you about today for a few minutes because I'm not going to do the whole thing because we went so long in Sunday school. If you'll turn to Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, Revelation 12, 9, a lot of things are happening in this book right now. A lot of plagues, a lot of earthquakes, a lot of death and destruction, a lot of stuff that's going on in the book of Revelation, but this I think is something for us to be excited about and rejoice. And I'm going to wrap it up with this thought. Revelation 12, 9, the New American Standard says this. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan. There are so many names for the devil. Lucifer, Abaddon, the the, uh, tempter, uh, the uh, adversary, um, the uh, enemy. Uh, He is referred to as uh even as an angel of light, isn't that amazing? He was a fallen angel. Uh, he was a deceiver. he was a serpent uh, just uh, just horrible and it's going to be amazing when we uh, see him, if we see him how uh, how puny he is and how how small he is and how how what a non-threat he looks like because he's just, a created being like anyone else. I was sharing that in Sunday school this morning. That the devil doesn't get a vote. He's not equal with God. When, when God wants to dispense of the devil, he sends Michael or Gabriel or some other angel or a cherubim or a seraphim. God doesn't have to deal with the devil. He's not on God's level. For some reason, we've given the devil this elevated status like there's this epic war going on between good and evil, God and the devil. No way. God is sovereign. God is almighty. The word almighty in Job, I think I I think I wrote that down somewhere here in my notes because it was so many times. I thought this was just really really uh amazing and uh I wanted to share that with you because I just thought, "Oh, wow. That is just so great when I see that. Uh how many times the word almighty is used in the um uh, in in just the book of Job alone and and for some reason it's 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 it escapes me, but I know it was like, I don't know, 15 to 20 times that particular term is used, which suggests God's sovereignty, God's omnipotence, God's omnipresence. omnipresence. But let me just finish this. Revelation twelve nine says, Who deceives the whole world, who was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, I'm on verse 10 of Revelation 12. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Watch this. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down who accuses them before God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb, that's Jesus' blood on the cross, and because of the word of their testimony. Let me just say this to you. Your testimony is very important. We overcome because of our testimony. What are you saying, Pastor Will? What I'm saying is that when we speak well of God, when we eulogize God, as it were, when we give God props, when we talk about what he's done for us, when we sing his praises, when we worship him, when we raise his, our voices in praise to him, we are testifying of who he is and what he's done. And the Bible says when we do that, we overcome the enemy. The devil cannot stand praise. Can you guys hear me online? The devil cannot stand praise. Let me change camera angles. The devil can't stand praise. And the reason is, it's because when we give glory to God, the Bible says that he inhabits, he inhabits the praises of his people. He inhabits, and I've told you what that definition means in Hebrew. It means that he basically pitches a tent. He comes and sets up camp. God says, let me pull up a chair. They're talking about me let me pull up a chair, they're singing about me, let me pull up a seat, I want to get in on this, I got next, I want to play, I'm liking this. And when we praise him, when we sing worship to him, when we exalt his name, the Bible says that he inhabits those praises. He comes around. He listens. He is, he is exalted by our praises. So our testimony becomes a part of that mechanism. When we testify, the Bible says we overcome the enemy. Listen, had Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, rather than getting in a dialogue with the serpent, and started trying to negotiate with him as to whether or not it was right or wrong to eat of the tree of knowledge, of the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil, had they just started saying, "Satan, the Lord rebuke you," "Lord, I give you praise," "Lord, I honor you," "I glorify your name," had they just started singing or saying the praises of God, I believe they would have been victorious. The Bible says they overcame by the word of their testimony. In 1 Peter, the Bible says that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Let me just say this to you. I believe that true Christians cannot lose their salvation, but I believe that if we're not careful that the enemy can disqualify us from the standpoint of being effective, he can damage our testimony because we overcome because of our testimony. He can compromise our integrity and cause us to lose or miss God's best. I see three final principles I want to leave to you that I think will be a blessing to you from Revelation 12, verse 9 through 12. Number one is the devil is subject to God and he cannot do anything. He wants against us. The Bible says that be on watch in 1 Peter 5.8. Stay alert because the devil, the enemy, is trying to tear us down. He's trying to devour us is the word that's used in the King James Version. That word in the English translated from the Greek means he tries to intimidate us. He tries to wreck us. He tries to tear us down. And you know what? I'm here to tell you some good news. The devil can't do anything to us that God doesn't permit. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that the devil is on a short leash and he has a short time span. I'm going to read to you a verse that lets you know that here shortly, that the devil knows that his time is limited. Psalms chapter 8 verse 2 says you have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. What does that mean, Pastor Will? That means that God has the ability to uh, uh, silence any enemy that would try to oppose us or try to harm us, that the devil is on a short leash the bible says in ephesians 3 10 that god's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom he goes on to say in verse 11 of ephesians 3 this was god's eternal plan which he carried out through jesus christ and uh, i'm sorry that justin's not over there to put these scriptures on the on the screen but i tell you what don't worry about it justin you're good i will send these out to you because they weren't in the notes that i sent the other day But I will let you know these scriptures in the notes that will be coming out this week because they are very good to encourage us that Satan is limited. Here's number two. Number two, Satan does have access to heaven. He has access to God, as we've learned in Job chapter 1. The devil, I don't know how, I don't know why, but God, for some reason, still permits the devil to approach him. Who knows? But I know it's for God's will and for his purpose. But the devil sure went up and accused the and He's accusing us day and night, every day. He's trying to blame us, accuse us. He's trying to victimize us. He wants us to feel inferior. He wants us to feel inadequate. He wants us to feel unworthy. The devil wants to do that to us. So I'm here to encourage you. I don't care how many times you slip how many times you stumble, how many times you fall, do not give the devil the victory. Amen? He cannot have you. He cannot own you. He cannot possess you as a believer. He cannot infiltrate you. All he can do is try to discourage you and try to damage your testimony and try to compromise your integrity by causing you to feel sorry for yourself and, and just settle and, and waddle in your sins and self-pity. Don't be a victim. The devil is limited. God does not allow anything to come to us that he knows that we, that we, that we can't bear. God does not impose more on us, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, than we can bear. He limits our, our exposure to the enemy. And he only allows the enemy to be exposed to us if he knows that we have the fortitude spiritually and the strength to overcome and to be successful. If we fail, it's because we didn't incorporate the resources that God gave us. It's not because God ambushed us and blindsided us with an attack that we weren't ready for and couldn't handle. God is not a sadist. He doesn't do sadistic things to just crush us and make us squirm. He doesn't want to see us defeated, amen. 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 And he wouldn't have gotten it. He wouldn't have gone into this little wager, so to speak, with Satan if he didn't know uh, Job was going to be successful. He knew Job was going to be successful, amen? amen. Here's my last point before I quit. It's very important that you get this last point. God found no fault with Job. Job's friends did. Job's friends called a dude everything but a child of God. <laughs> they said, Job, you sinned. See how the devil tried to put us on a guilt trip? Job, you messed up, man. You blew it. You need to find out where you went wrong because God would not allow this kind of calamity to come on you if you were living a righteous and holy life. Those are so-called friends. I tell you, if you guys telling me and you don't have any better news than that, then I'd just rather have no news at all. <laughs> you know, if you can't encourage somebody who's going through, somebody who's down in the dumps, somebody has had troubles, don't just go and beat up on people. These, these were horrible friends, in my humble opinion. And at the end, and I can tell you why I can say that, because at the end, God made them all go and beg Job's uh, pardon and apologize to Job and repent because <laughs> he said you did this brother wrong this dude was innocent i've said he was innocent it was the devil that said he did something wrong matter of fact i put in my notes something that the devil might have said i want you to hear what i think he could have said the devil could have said quote the only reason Job fears you is because you pay him to do it You you too have made a contract. You protect him and you prosper him as long as he obeys you and worships you. You're not a God worthy of worship. You have to pay people to honor you. That could have been what, I'm paraphrasing, what Satan might have said to God about why Job was, I mean, to use the words of the King James Version, you have put a hedge around him. You have put a protection around him. He's serving you because you protect him. That's a quid pro quo. That's a contract. What what if he wasn't doing all of that stuff? You know, so I, I totally think that the devil tries to put us at a disadvantage and make us feel like a victim. But God says, no, we are sons. I like the song that Tiff loves and I love it too. I am a friend of God. He chooses to call me friend. Not victim, not enemy, not garbage, not, you know, something out of my name. He chooses to call me friend. As a matter of fact, the term even gets better because he says we are adopted sons of him. So in closing, I love this verse right here. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2. The New Living Translation says, write it down. Zechariah 3, two. I know that's not a book that we read every day. Uh, of course, maybe Tyrone does. He's hope he's on the line. Tyrone, do you hear me? I'm giving you props. But Zechariah, one of your books, three two says, and the Lord said to Satan, "I, the Lord, reject your accusation, Satan." Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This. I, I, let me just stop there. This is a beautiful thing. The Lord rebukes the devil. The Bible says that the Lord uh, makes uh, no accusations against us. Amen? Amen? Here's the Monday morning moment. Remember, no matter what happens in this world and in our lives, God is on the throne and has everything under control. I'll repeat it. I'll repeat it. No matter what happens in this world and in our lives, God is on the throne and has everything under control under control do you believe that I believe it I'll send that Monday morning moment out too because I didn't include it in the notes let's just take a moment to pray Lord we just thank you for your word we thank you for this privilege this opportunity we thank you for your table that's prepared for us as we get ready to observe communion we thank you Lord because you've done this for us not because we earned it not because we deserve it but you've done this for us because of your mercy and your grace. We ask for your blessings this week. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to reopen the church safely. We thank you, Lord, for all of those that are on site and for all of those that are online. We thank you for just allowing us this privilege to assemble freely in a country that still allows us to worship you with no oppression and with no state-sponsored religion. We thank you for that, Lord. May we give you all the glory and praise throughout the week. May we exalt your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 This week, but right now I just want so that we can partake of communion.